Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. Let's take a test together. Do you remember what the golden rule is? Think about it. The golden rule is is this. Do unto others what you would have others fill in the blank. Do unto you. Do unto others what you would have others do uh, unto you. The golden rule is really great. We teach it to our kids. We grew up with it. You, you probably already know it, but you may not know that it's from the Bible, but it is from the Bible, and it's really awesome until somebody else wrongs you. And when, and when somebody else wrongs you, you and I kind of want to change the golden rule to another rule. You want to change it to, to this. Do unto others as others have done unto you. It feels like even the right thing to do in the moment to treat them as they treated you. Like that's, it just feels natural. That's, that's the only natural, right? And sometimes, and, and you can't often see this about yourself, but other people can see it. When you've been mistreated by somebody else or by another group, when, when you, who you can't mistreat in return, you start to mistreat somebody else. Or you do that in a different environment where you, you carry your anger over into another place so, so that your anger kind of gets projected onto another person or another whole other group of people who don't even deserve it because someone else did you wrong and you want to get back. When we feel powerless in, in one relationship, we take it out on somebody else and, and then we do unto others as someone else has done unto you. And, it, and you see how it gets really complicated really fast and out of control. The problem with that is this. The problem with getting even is that it makes you, you even with someone you don't even like. like. Like, why would you want to be even with someone that you feel like you're better than? When, when you get even with somebody, you're putting yourself on that same level. You're, you're even with them. And it, and it may very well be somebody you don't even like. That's where we pick up our story today with David in this series called The Shadow King. He's with his men. At this point in his life, he's a, he's a fugitive. He's running. He's trying to live off of the land. And he's got these guys around him who follow him. And this incredible story comes up about an opportunity to get even. Here's how it goes. A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats, 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His, his name was Nabal and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, Nabal, was, was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. While, while David was in the wilderness, it says he, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. And so he sent 10 young men and he said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. And And so then what happens is that David makes a request. He makes an ask to Nabal. It says that now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When, when your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, they'll tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men. Since we have come at a festive time, please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. And when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. And then they waited. So, they basically say, hey, we've been good to you. 
we've been outside and, and exposed to potential harm around you. Like, like we could have taken advantage of you when you've been exposed and uh, we could have taken advantage of this situation, but we didn't. In fact, we've acted like a buffer between you and anybody else who could have come along and caused you harm. We've done that for you. Now we want you to do something for us. We didn't steal anything from you. So now will you share with us? And David asked them to provide for them, to give them something that will help David and his band of men out, like food, clothing, just, he says, whatever you can find. And, and then it says they waited. Well, Nabal answered David's servants, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? And so Nabal, instead of agreeing to David's request, he says, who's this David? In other words, like what he's saying is we don't owe you anything. You haven't done anything really for us. You're just looking for a handout. Why should I help you? So David's men go back and they report back what has happened to David. And, and, and that's the point in this story where everything changes. It's like the Game of Thrones music starts up and everything on the screen turns darker and David gets this nasty look on his face. And here's what, he's, he, here's what he says. It says that David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword, get your swords ready. We've been insulted. Nabal has turned his back on us and we've tried to protect him, but he's going to pay the price. He did us wrong and we're going to go do him wrong. So they did. And then David says, David strapped on his sword as well. But then this other guy enters the picture, one of Nabal's servants. It says that one of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields uh, near them, nothing was missing night and day. They were a wall around us the whole time. We were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household, including me. He's thinking he's such a wicked man that no one can talk to him, Nabal. So essentially, the servant goes to Abigail, um, Nabal's wife, it confirms that David and his men have been good. They could have taken advantage of them, and they didn't do that. That they, in fact, they acted like a wall around him. They, they, they protected them the whole time. They had shown them kindness. They never stole anything from Nabal when they really could have. And we've already learned that, so, so Abigail hears this, we've already learned that she was really smart, she was really intelligent, and the the servant knows that, that she might be the only one who can do something about this pending disaster. And he, he's like, think it over and see what you can do. So Abigail realizes that this is going to be really bad, not only for like my, my jerk of a husband, but for me and for all of our servants in our land. And, and so she springs into action. She starts to gather all this food together. In verse 18, it says that Abigail acted quickly. She took out 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seahs of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins and 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. And then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal, very smart, not to tell him what she was doing, not to loop him in on her rescue project here. And it says that as she came riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, 
So she goes down this ravine. There, were, there was David and his men. They were descending toward her and she met them. And so you can picture it. David's coming down one side of this ravine, back and, back and forth, zigzagging down into this valley with his men, making his way down to where they are shearing the sheep, down towards Nabal's men, his shepherds. And she's coming from the other side on her donkey. She sees them from across the valley and she hurries over to meet them there and then she does something really amazing and and strange that got david's attention and 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 we get such incredible detail here in this story when abigail saw david she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before david with her face to the ground so so here's a wealthy woman married to another man which is which all this is very strange what she did not not normal in that day and age uh she she bows down to david so she catches david totally off guard and she begins to, and, and this is the really incredible thing that, that she begins to do, and, and, and women especially, check this out when it comes to how, uh, how to treat men, not to bow down, but she begins to talk to him as if he has already become the man she hopes he will be. And I say this not for the, again, not for the bowing down before him part, but just to understand that this will work with any guy because that's how we are. She begins to speak to his potential to his future, to his strength, and what he can do even before he does it. It's, it's, it's kind of like she's saying, or, or you could say, hey, I bet you can like mow our grass with one arm. You, you are so strong. And, and even if we know what you're doing, women, we, we fall for it. And we'll be like, yeah, I can. You want me to like, you want to come watch me do it? I mean, guys like that stuff. It's not a manipulative thing. It's just that when you speak into our potential, into our future, that's an awesome thing. And guys respond to that. And that's the brilliant thing that Abigail does here. It says she fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He's just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes with him. And it's, it's true. Nabal in Hebrew means fool and he becomes one. And so she goes on, as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives, and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are inter- intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles, she said, and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. So she, Abigail, continues to speak life and a great future into him when she says, God's going to do great things through you. He's giving you a lasting dynasty. You're on God's side. You only fight his battles. You don't have any wrongdoing, David. God has a big plan for you. Don't we all need somebody to say those things to us? She keeps going. She says, even though someone's pursuing you to take your life, King Saul, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God, but but the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. You see what she does here? Like the word she is using for bound securely in a bundle of God, it's, it's this word that means strings on a purse or a wallet that would wrap around it and be put deeply into a pocket for safekeeping. She's saying you are like God's treasure and he has put you in his pocket and he's holding you securely. And then, I don't know if you caught this, but she reflects back on when David was like 15 years old and he slayed the giant Goliath. And and she very wisely reminds David of that day when she says, 
God will fight against your enemies and fight them like slinging a rock from a sling. Just like you did, David, all those years ago. And she is so smart. She's reminding him of that time when he had to fully trust God for his survival. Like, remember back then, David, when it was just you and a sling and a giant? God took care of you then, didn't he? And he will surely do that now. And in this next section, while she's really, what she's really doing is she's asking a question. And that question is so powerful for you and for me to ask ourselves. Because eventually, this, like everything else in David's life, would simply become a story that he would tell. The things that you're going through right now, the hard things, are eventually going to become just a story that you tell. And and the question that she asks and the question that we should be asking ourselves is this. What story do you want to tell when this is nothing but a story to tell? Like when you're you're looking back, what, what story do you want to tell about this situation, this moment in your life when things got difficult, this moment in your life history? She says this. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord, David, every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. She's saying one day, this is all just going to be part of your story. And you want to tell a great story, David, right? You don't want to tell a story about needless bloodshed or your own vengeance, do you? You want to tell a better story than that. And so write a better story than that now, she's saying. And, and when God has brought you success in his timing and in his way, I hope you will remember me. And because of all of that, David changes, he stops, he, he halts his troop, he pauses, he begins to see things in a brand new way. It says that David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. She basically had him at that moment in the palm of her hand, all because she called him to something better. She reminded him of God's faithfulness. She, she, she caused him to, to rethink where he was and what he was doing. And so then it says David accepted from her hand what she had brought him, all that stuff, and, and said, go home in peace. I've heard your words and granted your request. So he accepts her request. He accepts everything that, they, that she gave he and his troops. And he says, you can go home now. I'm not going to destroy your household. Be at peace. So... When Abigail went to Nabal, this is how it ends. He was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak, which is really smart. She finds Nabal totally drunk. She again is super wise and she realizes this is a bad time to tell him anything. And so she waits until morning. Then in the morning, it says when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things, told him what happened and his heart failed him. And he became like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. So check out what happens next. Then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. Abigail saddles her donkey up and goes with David's messengers and becomes his wife. And they live happily ever after. Not really, actually. But that's the end of today's story. It's it's an amazing story. And in this story, you see these three main characters and three responses, but there's really only one hero here. 
Nabal's response is this. Nabal's response is evil for good. I'm going to return evil for good. You did something great for me. You protected me and all my people, my shepherds and my sheep, but I'm going to do nothing for you. That's Nabal's response. David's response is what? David's response is evil for evil, which is natural, right? That's, a, that's our natural response. It's what uh, we would have normally, like what would have normally happened, especially in that day and age. In fact, like this was an old covenant response. The people of Israel had a covenant with God and it, and it was like this, evil for evil, good for good. But Abigail's response, Abigail's response is returning good for evil. So if Nabal's response is uh, like maniacal, right? That's, that's Nabal. And, and David's response is, is pretty predictable. It's predictable. Abigail's response is remarkable. It's remarkable. Abigail was way ahead of her time. I, I told you they were living in the time of the old covenant, but what Abigail was doing was looking forward to the new covenant, which came along when Jesus came on the scene. It's the relationship with God that he introduced, that he ushered in. When Jesus showed up, he turned the old covenant upside down. He turned it on its head. And you remember Peter, his disciple, one of Jesus' closest friends? Peter wrote about this later, reflecting on how Jesus taught his followers how to live because he saw Jesus treated horribly. And every time Jesus turned the other cheek and Peter writes these words to Christians who were being treated unfairly too. He says this in, in, in the book of 1 Peter, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Peter's saying, hey, when, you do, when someone does you wrong, don't just go neutral. Don't just do nothing. Go, go positive. Return blessing for evil. Not just nothing, but blessing. And this is what Jesus did over and over. He got this from watching Jesus. Peter was there that day that Jesus said these words. Like he said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And maybe the most Christ-like thing that you can do is to refuse to respond to evil how everyone else does. So let me ask you three questions here. Two of them are going to be for everybody, and one of them is specifically for those of you who are Christians who, who are, are Christ followers. But uh, let me ask the first one here. Do I really want to get even with someone I don't even like? And the answer is no, you don't, because even is easy, and that makes you just like them. Wouldn't it be better to be ahead? Second question, what story do I want to tell? When this is just a story and whatever you're going through right now will eventually just become a story that you tell. What story do you want to tell? The one where you get revenge and you got even and it felt good for a minute but bad later? That's predictable, but it's unremarkable. The third question is this, and this is basic Jesus following stuff right here. What would it look like for me to return good for evil? When you think about your friend or your, your ex or your son or your daughter or your, your mom or your dad or your neighbor, whoever it is who has treated you badly, what would it look like for you to be a blessing? Not just to do nothing, not just to do nothing, not just to not respond, but to respond with blessing, to be proactive. Because to do nothing 
is the definition of mercy. That's not giving you what you deserve. To do something that they don't deserve, that's grace. And this is how our story intersects with the greatest story ever told. And this may be your best chance, your best opportunity to be like our Father in heaven because God returned good for evil. He gave his son for our sin. That's the gospel. And if you're a Christian, that's your story. You know, um, generosity and compassion is, is kind of like an American almost thing. Like everybody knows this. It's a good thing. It's a Christian thing. And in some ways, this is an expected thing. But, but this, like returning good for, for evil, that's not expected. And it takes you from predictable to remarkable. And it sets you apart. Ultimately, for some of us, that is what it will take to set us free. Until you return good for evil, the person who has mistreated you controls you. And here's how you know, because you're like David on his donkey, headed down into the ravine, rehearsing all the stuff you're gonna do, and you're getting people on your side. You'd like to do this, you'd like to get them back to get even, you'll find somebody who will listen to you, and we ought to do this, and we ought to do that. The only way to get free is to do what's for someone, what they don't deserve for you to do for them just like your father in heaven. And I think here's what David would tell us. Abigail didn't settle for even. Even is easy. So don't write a predictable story. Make it remarkable. At some point, this will be nothing other than a story that you tell. And you want to be able to say, hey, I did for others what they didn't deserve. And when you do that, you are most like your father in heaven. Let's pray. God, help us in this because it's going to take supernatural strength, supernatural power, the power of your Holy Spirit to help us return good in the face of evil. Would you let us be a blessing, not a curse, but a blessing to those around us, even the people that we struggle with right now. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.